This is Sound and Vision on KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. My favorite artist from my home state of Michigan is out with a new album. It's Chris Bathgate. The album is called The Significance of Peaches. Let's just say I developed a ravenous appetite for peaches. And there's like a trope. There's a thing with peaches because the season in which they're ripe is so short that over the years they have been associated with metaphors of the ephemeral nature of life or sometimes the opposite, longevity. And I suddenly realized, like, this is my thing now. I'm going to embody these ideas of carpe diem and the ephemeral nature of life and this this thing that already exists. I'm going to take it and I'm going to start sharing it with people. There was a peach stand that had this exceptionally wonderful fruit. I would go there, I'd buy as much as I could afford, and then I'd drive around in my travels, and I would literally give peaches to people as a gift. Holding a peach in the sweet palms of June From the plume and the blade traces bone The release comes after living in Michigan's Manistee National Forest, farming in Northern California, living out of a van, taking a day job at a startup in San Francisco, having a kid, and moving back to Michigan. Through the journey, he wrote music and traveled with a pump organ, which is prominently featured on the record. So yeah, it's been everywhere. And actually, I did get to write some of it in Joshua Tree in the Desert, which was probably the most fun I've had playing pump organ. I want you to walk me through this journey you've been on the past couple of years. So first off, living in a national forest uh, for four and a half months. It seems like you just describe a little bit what that life was like in your song, The Van. I drive the van into the woods as deep, as deep as I could. Ooh. I grab my bag, I have the map, I leave the van, I'm on the path. But I'm curious how you would describe that experience. It was basically camping out of a van, sometimes pitching a tent. I decided to save some money by living in the Manistee National Forest, which you can do sort of free of charge. They have dispersed camping. You can camp off trail, and the Manistee has a lot of beautiful and sort of secret feeling locations, little lakes in the middle of the woods and two tracks that will just take you into dense areas of forest. So I was sometimes working as a carpenter by day, but at night I would drive deep into the into the forest and ex- sort of explore the Manistee and try to find beautiful locations. And it was beautiful and spooky and amazing things happened when I was there, you know. It felt sort of like being in a film. You know, I'd be leaving work on my way to go either find a spot or go to one of the spots that I really enjoyed. And, you know, it felt like the moon was sort of always rising over an open field full of mist. It had that energy. And there's so many beautiful memories. Like there was one night where I was on the Manistee River, sort of high on a bluff overlooking a large U bend in the river. And the sun was going down, but there was also a massive thunderstorm coming in and I just watched the lightning sort of get closer and closer until the sun was totally down and then the sun went down there was this massive boom 
from the thunder, and it scared what must have been 15 or maybe even 20 owls. Wow. <laughs> in yes, like I didn't know they were there, like spread around the trees. So I heard this massive thunder, boom, and then all of a sudden I heard like a huge choir of owls just go whoo, you know, because they were scared. they didn't expect it. They were like they all got spooked. <laughs> so it's sort of this frivolous summer of living in the woods and I guess glamping. You know, when you have a, a van and it's drive up mostly. I did hike hike deep into the woods and go off trail quite often, but just trying to be in the woods as often as, as as I could. It was wonderful. I leave the camp, I'm on the path, I'm in the van, I understand. And I hide, I get so far within, I'm in the woods, I'm deep in words. words. I drive the van into the world as deep, as deep as it occurs. So you eventually left Michigan for California, and you started your journey in California farming. I'm curious what just generally brought you to the West Coast. I mean, it was kind of your first time living outside of of Michigan for, for a long time. Yeah, I think when I was living in the Manistee, I was like making the decision and sort of building the confidence to just leave the state. I was ready for something new, and I had some friends in California. And I reached out somewhere in the middle of the summer and they said, yeah, why don't you come up and be our caretaker? The opportunity I had, you know, this place that I had been before and had known about was a beautiful like 160 acre mountainous off-grid homestead that was surrounded by forests and springs and creeks. And the forest in California feels a lot different than the forest in Michigan. And I was sort of fascinated by this sort of new ecosystem as well. So when I had the chance, I took it and loaded everything I could into my van and drove across and left the woods in Michigan and landed in the woods in California. So your next job after working on a farm was working for a tech startup in San Francisco, something that I think a lot of us in Seattle can relate to. I mean, it seems like such a change in pace. What did that feel like emotionally to go from like nature to like the busyness of working a crazy job in a big city? It was a shock to the system, for sure. I definitely took solace in writing super pensive, long cryptic Instagram posts, um, (laughs) just to try to explain to people what I was experiencing. Yeah, my heart goes out to anyone that's sort of played that game or or been in that uh, situation because the intensity of, I think, startups in general, but this one in particular was was so high that, you know, I was barely sleeping and really going for it. And to my own credit, I, I feel like I went from zero to head of a department in record time. I know that's the nature of some startups, but I worked very, very hard at it. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a total shock. You know, I was still finding places, you know, in San Francisco and in the Bay Area that f- did feel like nature, you know, af- after work. I would sometimes travel even further and just go to Land's End and just enjoy the cedars and the breeze and calla lilies. You know, there's there's places where you can get the same feeling of the woods in San Francisco and the Bay Area. So, but it was definitely a shock, totally different lifestyle instantly. But I heard that like at some points you were still like living out of your van and working at the tech startup or having to commute like an hour each way, two hours each way. I mean, like, how did you make that work? 
I mean, yeah, you had to. When I first signed on, I mean, it's a pretty classic story in the Bay Area. I, my salary, my wage wasn't high enough to actually afford a place to live. So I was sort of doing the, you know, park in the back streets, streets of Oakland and, you know, showering at my local 24-hour gym and just working. And sort of maybe that's what drove me. I was like, this is a challenge I'm going to rise to. I'm going to, you know, show my value enough that I can make this work in the Bay Area. So eventually it clicked. I landed a place and sold the van and started taking public transportation. And then suddenly it's very bizarre because that's probably the most stable I've been financially, maybe in my entire life, like coming from nothing to suddenly having an apartment and being like, oh my gosh, I have, I can take care of this looming issue or resolve this debt or, you know, or make more music. Through that work, other things opened up and life became maybe not less stressful, but stressful in a different way that was refreshing. Yeah. We've done a series on Sound and Vision before about just called Day Job, where we talk to musicians about what their day job is. And and hearing about your journey just got me thinking of just as a musician, you know, having so many passions, whether that be your music, whether that be nature, but also having to balance that with, I need to make a living. <laughs> I should probably have a paycheck. And so when you're going through this journey from living in the woods, working on a farm, working at a tech startup, I'm curious for you, like at the end of the day, I mean, you don't work for that tech startup anymore. You're living back in Michigan now. Like as you reflect, I mean, what did that journey teach you or, or what do you reflect on when it comes of just what you value in life? Or like, where do you find that balance between doing what you love, but also being able to have enough money to get by? For me, and I think for a lot of other people in the world right now, you almost have to take a hit if you choose to spend your time on a creative passion. Mm-hmm. There is a bizarre badge of honor where if you choose music, and especially if you're choosing music as a primary source of income in this day and age, and you're not super famous, that you do without, and you make those choices on on what exactly you don't have or what need doesn't get met. And in my situation, I think it's worth it. Music does generate some income, but in terms of the time that you invest in it, there's an imbalance there. You spend way more time and money on the things that you really care about than they produce. And maybe there's freedom there. If you, if I was relying on music for an income, I would probably make totally different music. So I think there's a freedom there. But I think the reality of the situation for many musicians, especially independent musicians, is you see what you're comfortable with in terms of doing without. And I think that's admirable, but also a total shame. And maybe shines a spotlight on the bigger issues with the economy of art slash, dare I say, entertainment. Mm. Um, So you've said that your grind um, that you did in San Francisco of like working crazy hours, commuting a long period of time each way was also inspired with your desire to have a child, like maybe one of your own, maybe you'd adopt. And now here you are, um, your second child's on the way now. And I was listening to the track, The Significance of Peaches, and in it you talk about your son. And I have a dream where our son was born And he's gentle and handsome as you and your, your firstborn was a son, and you have another son on the way. And I'm, I realize that you actually wrote that track before 
your son was born. And, you know, I'm curious what what that drive to be a father felt like for you when when the song Significance of Peaches was coming together. It was certainly because I was in the early um, stages of baby fever. Um, <laughs> Which is interesting. I, I feel like I've never heard guys go through baby fever. Like, I've felt that. But what did that feel like for you? You know, the motion where you put one arm in the other and you rock it back and forth. That's the best way I could describe the feeling. I felt driven, compelled, curious to know what it was like to be a parent. And, you know, they say we all have selfish reasons for having children, or some people say that. And I think my selfish reason was that I was curious to know what parenthood could teach me about love. Mm. As though my life... My experiences in life would not be as full as they could be if I did not attempt to go down that path. And having kids is not for everyone. However you feel about it, I support having kids or not having kids. But I had that feeling. And it was occurring when I wrote that song. But I also wrote that song thinking about my brother and his partner and their mention of of having children. So it's not necessarily just my baby fever. It's just thinking about the narrator of that song, speaking to that idea, you know, a child is not here, but we are dreaming of one, which I think a lot of people go through. You know, you have an idea of your children before they're even in the room. And I have a dream where our son was born And he's gentle and Now back in Michigan, I'm curious what inspired the move back and what is what does it feel like to be back kind of at home now? It's great to be home. I did miss Michigan as much as I love California. But Michelle, we got pregnant while the record was being recorded. So technically, our oldest, Oliver, has been in the studio in Michelle's belly. I have a photo Aww. of her belly next <laughs> n- next to the two-inch tape machine in Tiny Telephone, you know. Um, and she she came in for a couple days from time to time. And the move was because we got pregnant. You know, mm-hmm. we were on a three-story walk-up in downtown San Francisco. And we needed to be home. We needed to be close to my folks uh, live in Michigan. Um, and we, I was like, we need help. This is our first kid. Like, let's, let's go back. Let's plug in with grandma and grandpa. Let's get some help and let's, let's do this in a place that's not so bustling and difficult. I'm glad we moved back. I can't imagine us being new parents in a downtown urban environment in the pandemic. People do it and people are doing it, but I can't imagine... I think for us, it would have been so astronomically difficult. I'm glad that we came back when we did. I love your single Bruises off this album, which was produced by a fellow Michigander, uh, Daniel Zott of Junior Junior. Tell me the story behind this track, Bruises. It really comes from walking around San Francisco on my commute and sort of seeing the 
disparity, I think, or the drastic difference in humans and how they are experiencing life and whether they're struggling or not. Walking through the financial district and many people who are dressed in incredibly expensive suits and nice swatches and just doing super well in life, but then also loads of people who are in really dire circumstances, who some are probably near death, some are, you know, addicted to drugs, and, and some who knows what their life circumstances have been, and sort of trying to hold on to the malleableness or the, you know, I wanted to stay movable, um, because everyone around me that I saw had blinders. And I understand that that's like self-preservation in some cases, or maybe people feel differently about poverty or homelessness. But I was just sort of shocked, you know, that a person could be in obvious need of immediate help. And everyone can just walk past on their phone talking about, you know, where they're going to go get oysters later. Mm. Um, You know, people sleeping in the doorstep of Dolce & Gabbana, that was sort of in my face every single day, you know. I would try to help one person every day on my commute. Maybe it was five bucks, which is a complicated reasoning whether or not you should give a person on the street money. But I'd often just like hand two huge bottles of water or try to go buy food and offer it to them. I tried to be helpful and stay movable. But there was other things swirling around. You know, I'd been in Northern California where there was massive fires very close to where I was staying. Literally could walk to the cliff closest to the house and see an entire ridge ablaze, you know, with Mm. uh, (laughs) like 17 Cal Fire airplanes, helicopters circling around trying to put things out. So I'm thinking about climate change. I'm thinking about poverty. I'm thinking about... What's wrong with us? What are we doing, really? Where's the unity? I had this idea of, as a foolish Midwesterner that San Francisco was enlightened and was different in some ways. You know, maybe that's left over from the beat generation or my f- fractured idea of what that city is, you know, or what it might be when I got there. And, uh, you know, there's also just climate change. There's a, there's a part of the significance of peaches, which is like, isn't it amazing that this tiny little flower becomes this like succulent, amazing, delicious piece of fruit. Isn't that amazing about nature and the way that the world works? And why isn't that enough motivation for us to protect it and cherish it and redirect our focus? You know, like the chorus really comes from that. The verses are a little more about vulnerability and, you know, I'm sort of trying to be a little polysemic and leave things a little open to interpretation. I was certainly thinking a great deal about truth at the time, considering the political climate, which hasn't changed all that much, but just thinking about misinformation and what a bizarre phenomenon in the world. And also just, you know, thinking about vulnerability. There's a power to letting people see your bruises, and it in a way normalizes this way I see the world, which is like still amazing and beautiful and stunning and inspiring, but also like totally struggling and damaged and traumatized and all the things that we don't talk about in small talk. Well, it's a very beautiful track, and I love I love this backstory. I've been speaking with Chris Bathgate. His latest album is called Significance of Peaches. Chris, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today, and congrats on the record. Thank you. Thank you so much. Say you love me And leave the truth on out 
in the front yard with your bruises Vision. Before we go, please do me a huge favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts right now, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, or review Sound and Vision. If you're listening on a different service, tell a friend about this show or share one of your favorite episodes with them. I'd love your help in spreading the word about this show, and those little things really go a long way. Also, KEXP is a publicly funded station, so listener support pays for the majority of what we do, including the work that I do each week to bring you sound and vision. Consider giving a one-time $20 donation to support this show at kexp.org slash sound. Thanks for listening.